Well, good evening. Welcome to Mosaic. Come on in and find a seat, but don't use it yet because we're going to stand and sing. Everybody, let's stand and sing together. song last week. Let's sing together. This is the word. This is the word here in the flesh, living among the meek and lowly. The voice of God is every breath, salvation of the Praise, sing the name 
take a seat. Well, hey, welcome to Fellowship Mosaic. We are so incredibly glad that you are here to worship with us tonight. Um, we are a, a gathering of Jesus followers who are seeking to learn how to be more like Jesus together and how to represent Jesus well to the world around us. And so we, we come together in this place uh, for the purpose of being transformed, for the purpose of being exposed to the person of Jesus through teaching, through the scripture, and then singing together about him. The reason we sing is so that we can do that very thing. We say, behold him, um, which if you're, if you're anything like me, I tend to be like ridiculously literal. So when I sing a phrase like behold him, I start looking around the room going, what am I even talking about? I don't see him. But then the words of the song go on to tell us what he's like. It's inviting us to use our imagination through song to behold what we know is true about him in our hearts, to, to fix the eyes of our hearts on Jesus and to celebrate who he is. So that's what we do as we sing together, and we're incredibly glad that you've joined us to do so tonight. Um, if you're new, if this is the first time you're here or, or very nearly the first time you're here and you haven't met anybody, we would love to get to know you better. So one way you can do that is you can text hashtag MoNew to the number on the screen and somebody will reach out to you this week um, just to learn more about you and how we can get to know you better or we would love to meet you face to face. So you can come up and say hi to anyone up here on the stage that you'll see tonight or there's a welcome booth out in the middle. We'd love to get to know you and help you get connected. Hey, there are just a couple of other things that we want to let you know about coming up in the next few weeks. My name is Nick, by the way, and I get to serve usually on the teaching team um, because of the joy of getting to sing with us tonight. Um, we're entering into a season in the next week that has a deep history uh, in the, the, the church and the people who follow Jesus together, and it's a season known as Lent. And what Lent is all about is it is a time leading up to the celebration of the death of Jesus where we take 40 days to deny ourselves of something for the sake of of focusing our hearts on Jesus. That, so that very thing that we sing, behold him, um, in a world of distraction, in a world of filling ourselves uh, with everything we can to not stop and slow down, Lent is a time to stop, to slow down, to be still, and to practice den self-denial for the sake of fixing our eyes on Jesus. And so if you would like to have some guides to help you as a family, especially if you have kids, walk through that. We have some Lent family devos. It's the same one we've used in years past. There's some out in the foyer. You can also find a digital copy online. We encourage you. It's a great thing to do during the season that begins this week of just focusing our hearts and our minds on Jesus together. Hey, a couple of other things I want to tell you about. We're going to be celebrating communion uh, tonight, and the elements are actually in the back on, on tables. And so if you did not grab one on your way in, uh, we invite you to go grab those uh, at some point as we're singing in the next few minutes, and nobody's going to look at you and like ask, what are they doing? Did they not know? Um, it's perfectly great to get up and walk back there and grab some elements and bring them back to your seat. Uh, later in the service, we're going to take communion together, so we want to invite you to grab those um, in the next couple of minutes so you have those when you, with the time comes. Uh, the last thing I want to tell you about is that we are entering a season um, where we are nominating new elders to lead our congregation. Um, and it's a really, it's a really special season. What we, the way we operate as a church is we are a part of one larger church called Fellowship Bible Church of Northwest Arkansas. And we have congregations across the area. We have two or three actually that meet here at the Rogers campus, celebrate recovery on Friday nights. 
Fellowship Mosaic on Saturday night, and Fellowship Rogers on Sunday morning. Then there's also Fellowship Fayetteville down at our Fayetteville campus, and Fellowship Bentonville. And we are all united together in one mission of seeing Northwest Arkansas and the world transformed by the love of Jesus. And we have a group of men who guide that process, who constantly invite our whole church to pursue Jesus together, who pray through the difficult issues that we're facing and set a trajectory on where we're going. And and we're really thankful to be led by such a godly group of people. And when we look at the scriptures, the primary qualifier to be an elder, uh, more than your exceptional knowledge and training and skill and leadership, which these people absolutely have, more than anything else, it's Christ-like character. Um, We want to see people whose hearts are pointed to Jesus um, that will lead us to follow Jesus. And so um, we've had three men who've been nominated to join the elder team. And over the next couple of weeks, we are putting these people before the body. And this is a, a process we take very seriously. We want to hear from the body. Do these people have a reputation of being men of character who follow Jesus. And so we want to introduce them to you and give you the opportunity. We'd love to hear back. Um, And there will be instructions on how you can do that. We want to confirm. This is a process to confirm what the people of fellowship and the elders who currently serve have already said about these men. These are people of character that we can follow. And we want to put them back to the body. So take a look at this video. Hello, fellowship. Thank you for participating in the elder nomination process. After a deliberate season of prayer and discussion, our elders have three new candidates for the Office of Elder to present to you today. Michael Collier, Brett Rings, and Brian Denman. If you don't already know these gentlemen, we would like for you to meet them. Hello, Fellowship. My name is Michael Collier. My wife Mandy and I have been part of Fellowship Bible Church of Northwest Arkansas for over 20 years, serving mainly as leaders in the community and small group ministries. Mandy and I have been married for 21 years. Our daughter Michaela is 16 years old and we have a son, Matthias, who will be 14 very soon. One thing that has me jazzed up right now is the growing number of people wanting to worship together again. The pandemic was hard for everyone, but I didn't realize how much I had taken for granted what worshiping together corporately meant to my life. It has been rejuvenating to sing, pray, and listen to the preaching of the word with more and more people each weekend. I'm excited about the future here at Fellowship, and I'm honored to be nominated as a candidate to serve as one of your elders. Thank you. Hi, Fellowship. My name is Brett Rings, and my wife, Leanne, and I have been married for 34 years. We originally came to Fellowship 21 years ago because of the small groups. Leanne and I strongly believe in the benefits of small groups, where you live life with one another in community. In addition to leading small groups, we are also involved in children's ministry, greeting, and I help coach a group of men in Springdale. I'm both humbled and honored to be nominated as a candidate for elder here at Fellowship. Thank you. Hey, Fellowship. My name is Brian Dittman. My wife Megan and I have been involved at Fellowship Bible Church for the past 13 years. It has been a joy to lead community groups, Financial Peace University, Discover Fellowship, as well as serve in the children's ministry over the years. Megan and I have been married for 15 years and have a seven-year-old son named Sage, a four-year-old daughter named Hattie Pearl, and a two-month-old son named Crew. I love that Fellowship is a gospel-centered church that strives for our name to be nowhere and our fingerprints to be everywhere. I am humbled and honored 
to be nominated as a candidate to serve as one of your elders. Thank you. Thank you, Brett, Michael, and Brian, for your willingness to participate in the elder nomination process and be considered a candidate for the office of elder. It is a tremendous responsibility to be an elder of Fellowship Bible Church of Northwest Arkansas. And your willingness to be considered a candidate speaks highly of your character, integrity, commitment to Christ, and service in our church family. Now, if you are a member of Fellowship, we have one more request of you. If for some biblical reason you feel you cannot follow a particular candidate's leadership, please email me, mirapier at fellowshipnwa.org, stating your biblical objection, and do so no later than Monday, March 6th. I will call you personally, and we can discuss your objection which must have merit based on biblical elder qualifications. We require that all elders have 100% affirmation from our body. If you have no objection, we assume that you are affirming the candidates that the elders have set forth from the pool of nominees that you provided. Please pray for these new candidates as well as our current elders. We are grateful to each of you who participated in the nomination process. And with your affirmation, we will add Michael Collier, Brett Rings, and Brian Denman to our board this fall. And finally, we would like to thank Steve Lampkin, Stephen Weber, Rod Easley, and Dick Nervick for their years of faithful service as elders. They have represented our body well and will now become shepherding elders. If you see them, express your appreciation. Blessings to each of you. Would you stand with us as we say a prayer for the offering that we're about to take at this time? And we're, we're in a season of, of planning and, and budgeting and prepping for the next ministry year. So I encourage you, as we, as we say this prayer together, um, pray for, the, the, for this offering that we'll take up and pray for the wisdom of the elders and the teams around here as we, we seek to use what's been given for the glory of God and to disciple and love people well. Let's pray together. You can pray this out loud with me. Oh, Father giver of all. Every good and perfect gift comes from you. We ask you to accept these gifts and use them to your glory. May they bring shelter to the homeless, comfort to the sick, rest to the weary, and hope to the hopeless. As you multiply the offering of fish and loaves, Multiply these to accomplish more than we can ask or imagine. We give freely and not under compulsion, for all we have is yours, Lord. Nothing we can give could match your great gift to us, your Son and your Spirit. Amen.
the wonders of your mighty love. My comfort, my shelter, tower of refuge and strength, let every breath, all that I am, never cease to worship. goodness tonight that you will take hold of our imagination and our minds and our hearts with the beauty of you 
your sacrifice on the cross, the power of your resurrection. And that Lord, as we recognize both the glory of your power and the closeness of your love, Lord, as we magnify you with all that we are, Lord, would you be honored and sustain us. Were creation suddenly articulate With a thousand tongues to lift one cry Then from north to south and east to west We'd hear Christ be magnified Where the whole earth were the whole earth echoing his eminence his name would burst from sea and sky from the rivers to the mountain tops we hear christ be magnified
And all my life you have been faithful And all my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am made I will sing of the goodness of God Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. Hi, everyone. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ who struggles with anxiety and control. And my name is Brooklyn. And I've been a part of the Mosaic ministry for a few years now. Um, and this has really been an amazing community for me to be a part of. Um, I also work with Celebrate Recovery on Friday nights with the students. Yeah, it's a pretty fun thing. Um, we have our 5th and 6th graders and then our 7th through 12th graders at the landing. And God does some really cool things at Celebrate Recovery with students. So if you want to know more about that, feel free to ask me. Um, we'd love to talk about it. But today we're going to be reading from Daniel 3. If you'll read with me. You don't have to read aloud. but <laughs> It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, and magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and people of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. Your majesty, your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all other kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews who have you have set over the affairs of the provinces of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. 
Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the hort, horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this manner. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the fire so hot, the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Brooklyn. Though you grew up and spent your childhood and adolescence in your homeland, it's been years since you've been back. Uh, you were taken as a teen, and there's been a lot of pressure to adjust to this new life. There was the time with the king's meat and wine. You humbly asked not to partake, and God showed favor to you. There was the time when the king's guard came to kill you, but God showed up, revealed the secrets of dreams, and you were all spared. At that point, the king even seemed to say, your God seems like the real deal. Your buddy Daniel stayed in the royal court, but requested that you get appointed to leadership, which the king gladly did, putting you and your two friends over the province of Babylon. But it has been six or seven years maybe since that day, the king hasn't acknowledged your God for a long time. The more power and wealth that the king has gotten, the, the more people have made threats on his life. You don't think he's paranoid, but he has demanded more and more and bolder shows of loyalty, which has you nervous. One morning, you see another group under another advisor begin work on the flatlands nearby. They're, they're clearing a, a space. Uh, and as they clear and level the land and as the days go by, a large structure starts to take shape. It, it looks like an oven or a furnace, but it's bigger than any you've ever seen. 
the furnace construction finishes, but the, the work doesn't end. They, they start to clear another space, and, and they, they feed log after log into this furnace, and, and they begin on this newly extra cleared space to stack block after block after block. And, and you realize quickly that you've seen this routine before. This is going to be a statue. Maybe it'll look like a god or like the king himself. But when you, once you're finally able to hear some murmurs and some whispers, you realize that it's a test of loyalty. You'll all be asked to bow down and worship, or you'll be labeled traitors, guilty of treason, and death will be swift. The king has a grotesque excitement with having opponents torn limb from limb or, or cut into pieces. What are you going to do? We're going to be in Daniel chapter 3 tonight. My name's Matt. It's good to be with you. Get to hang out with kids here at the church. We're going to be talking a lot about idolatry. And, and this definition has really guided my study. Um, it's from Tremper Longman III. We, we laughed about a very impressive name last week. But uh, Tremper, or Mr. Longman here, said that idolatry is when bits of creation are raised to the level of creator. And I just love the word bit there. It just feels like it puts creation in, a, in the really small place that it needs to remain. So hold that in mind. We're going to hear it a lot. I also just want to say, I was able to cut, I, I wrote far too long of a message tonight. I was able to cut a lot of time out of the message just by not repeating things. There's a lot of repetition. I'm sure you noticed it already. You were standing there like rocking some of you like, well, it just keeps going and going, right? And just by not saying Nebuchadnezzar every time, but saying Neb or not saying uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So I'm going to... I hope you hang with me there, but, but uh, I, I did some abbreviation. And then, as always, uh, we punted a few things to the Footnotes podcast this week. So if you're not listening to that, it's a good place just to get the things that don't quite make it into the message. But for tonight's sake, let's get into Daniel. This series has been excellent because the book just again and again is showing us that God is in control. No, no matter what it might seem like in the moment, even in the face of death, God is in control. Now, if Esther was almost comical in how hard it avoided even mentioning God, the book of Daniel makes it much more explicit. It's even falling out of the king, the pagan king's mouth, that God is sovereign and he is the only one that has the right to rule. So I opened tonight with that little story to try to make sense of a time jump from chapter two to chapter three. Because we finished chapter 2, if you'll remember, the king was, was uh, the, uh, he had made this declaration, right? That the God of gods and the Lord of kings had revealed the mystery to him through the dream. And he, he starts this chapter building a golden idol potentially to some other god. So that's a big shift in what, what just happened. And the irony, even more than that, is the revealed mystery of the dream is that there was a golden head that Nebuchadnezzar himself represented on this statue. And that whole statue is collapsed. It's crushed. It's crumbled. And yet we open chapter 3 with him building a golden image. So some, some length of time has to have passed 
between this two. And I even think the construction of this magnitude wasn't just accomplished overnight. But let's jump into the text. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high, 6 cubits wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Dura is a word that means surrounded. So it's likely a plain that is walled in by mountains. So this 90-foot tall, 9-foot wide statue would just look immense. If you need help picturing it, this screen here is 40 feet wide and 14 feet tall. I also got up into the there's a catwalk up here, and I measured from the floor of the catwalk just because I wanted to go up there. It's 27 feet to the stage, right? So 27 feet to 90 feet. Very different, very impressive, okay? That was a fun adventure in the dark. I couldn't find the light switch. So anyway, um, uh, whatever the shape of it uh, is, is ultimately unimportant, okay? The, the purpose of it is what is important. I believe that its main purpose is a test of loyalty, which is actually a test of idolatry. Let's continue. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials. It's different leaders and administrators from different regions in this conquered kingdom. It's supposed to be a list that shows the, the breadth of Nebuchadnezzar's reach. It's supposed to feel like quite a show. It feels like a kid that is a little late writing a paper and he's just cramming it full of synonyms. Like, I'm just gonna keep hitting the synonym button, just getting more and more and more, and then I'll just copy and paste that as many times in the paper as I can. It doesn't feel impressive. It feels really hollow and shallow. Neb is trying too hard. So the officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Neb had set up, and they stood before it. And then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you're commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of this ridiculous list of instruments, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Neb has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will be immediately thrown into a blazing furnace. And it continues that therefore, as soon as, the her as, the, as they heard the sound of the music, all all fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Neb had set up. We have total participation as far as maybe this is the king's perspective is concerned. He's, he's surveying the crowd and he's pleased that everyone is bowing down. There's no mention of rebellion yet. The three didn't like wait until the whole gathered assembly bowed to like stand up with a sign that says big and dumb just like the king, right? They're, they're just... Seemingly not there. It, it seems to have taken the form of a quiet abstention. They just didn't go. They didn't tell anyone. They didn't make a stink. And in our modern world of instant amplified voices, that is social media in the 21st century, I wonder how often do you or I take a stand for an audience of one? I can say it another way, are you willing to take a stand without making a scene? That's a, an impressive thing looking at them here. Why did they need, though, why did they need to rebel? We can read the first two commandments out of Exodus. Even a bad Jew would remember these. The first, you shall have no other gods before me. And the second, you shall not make for yourself an image 
in the form, can I summarize, any bit of creation. Verse five, you shall not bow down to them or worship them. They rebelled because God said bowing down to or worshiping any other image or God was sin, disobedience, and worthy of punishment. It was a clear commandment of God and they counted the cost. There's disobedience to the king with the penalty of death and it's a better choice than the deliberate disobedience of God's clear command. Jesus would later say in in Matthew chapter 10, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. And I have a question then out of the serendipity Bible. Another one, just a, a thinker. How much are you willing to risk in order to obey a clear commandment of God? This was a costly choice for them. We can continue. In verse 8, at the time, at this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Neb, may the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone must worship. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. For whatever reason, only the three are called out. I don't know if there are other Jews. I assume there are. They were a conquered people, and and many were brought. So were they present? Did they conform? We don't know. We only read that, that these three get ratted out. They get tattled on. And the jealous astrologers draw the king's attention to their quiet defiance. They have had... More than seven years of faithful service and loyalty in leadership. And the king just drops them from his graces. They're working for the cabinet, so to speak, of the worst president in history. He burned their temple to the ground. Their house of worship where God dwelt with them, leveled by this guy. And yet they have been for his success. They've been faithful to God, but also very faithful to the king. A true blessing to their enemies. Could the same be said of us, Lord? Continue in verse 13. Furious with rage, Neb summoned the three. And despite all pomp and circumstance up to this point, there is no substance to it. There is a rage in Nebuchadnezzar that shows that that I really think hides a a deep fear. And all the grandeur of this dedication is, is an attempt to hide this fear. So these men were brought before the king and Neb said to them, Is it true, you three, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the music or the image I made, very good. In maybe the only surprise in the chapter, that's a joke, but in maybe the the first subtle surprise in the chapter is the king not doing what we expect. He doesn't seem, he's a very urgent guy, but for whatever reason, here, 
he gives us a second chance. He says, you know what? Bow and worship, everything's good. Surprising at the very least. But if you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Hold those words. How often has the person being given this choice capitulated and and bowed in worship? How many times have the three seen others refuse to bow and, and be killed instead? How often has the king had opponents and dissidents torn limb from limb? I mean, his confidence to declare this likely comes from the number of times he had already executed many people of many gods, none of them rescued. He conquered and sacked Jerusalem, the city of these young men, the Jewish, the the, the main holy town, and what would appear to him like another puny god unable to rescue from his hand. And yet, Nebuchadnezzar is unaware that he himself is actually a tool that God picked with his hand to discipline Israel and that the king is actually an image of that God, an image bearer. You look at Neb and you see something of Yahweh, God of the universe. Now the three have undoubtedly bowed before the king already. They've, they've bent the knee many times. I mean, they are far, they, they've humbled before leadership of the king they served. Too, I, they, had, they had to have bowed. It's the, the worship of the image that pushes it too far for them. If the king asked, then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? God has already answered him in Deuteronomy where he says, see now that I myself am he. There's no God beside me. I put to death and I bring to life. I have wounded and I will heal. And no one can deliver out of my hand. Trusting that God, the three replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. There were three charges brought against these young men by the astrologers. Remember, they didn't go looking for the trouble, but they don't avoid it when it comes for them. The three charges, they pay no attention to you, king. They they don't honor you. They don't serve the king's gods. They don't worship the image of gold. When they respond in this passage here, they don't even acknowledge the first one. It's, It's so ludicrous. They have faithfully served the king and honored him. They don't, need to, they don't need to speak against that one. But to the other two, they don't mince their words either. We will not serve your gods or worship the golden image. What God is able, asks Neb, and they answer, our God. He is able. 
to deliver us from the furnace, and he will, either by miracle or by death, and I have to think death, we'll get to that, but I have to think death is the one they're expecting. They will deliver us from your hand. They have no presumption that they'll be saved. It's, it, this, this faith is one that comes from that daily togetherness, that connection with God that is intensely consistent. It's the stuff that Daniel was called out for time and, and again. It's the faith that drove Peter in Acts chapter 5 to tell the high priest, we must obey God, not men. It's the faith shown by brothers and sisters around the world for whom defiance is actually a life and death situation. Each death of a martyred saint, leaving behind a community of believers who still say, even though he didn't, we still won't worship anyone but him. And to take some of the hot air out of this passage, some of the way we might read it wrong, I want to look at Longman again. I, I was really helped by him this week. So um, the response of the three preserves the story from devolving into a false promise that God will save every faithful person from suffering and death. So if you are suffering, it's not that you're not faithful, okay? If you've doubted that, if you've been like, I'm, I'm coming to you over and over and over, God, and, and you seem to not be getting me, what, why am I hurting they are, they are not related. We've made them related in our head, and they are not related. Such a story would betray the faithful martyrs who have stood faithful but suffered death. And there is little in their response to indicate that they had even a belief in life after death. This isn't a time where they are appealing to, to it's better to die than to, and, and to go and be with him. There's no appeal to resurrection. This is just, we will obey God because he's the only one worth obeying. We must obey him. Why the strong stance against idolatry? Well, if idolatry is what Longman said, that it's bits of creation raised to the level of creator, then on the left, we have everything we've ever known other than God. And on the right, alone, is God. He stands alone and unique by himself. But John Calvin pointed out that we are a factory of idols. Our hearts, they were, they were made to worship. Ecclesiastes says that we've got eternity in our hearts. There is a deep and unsatisfied part in us that is not satisfied until it is satisfied in God. And yet, it's bent by sin, and we worship the bits. Now, if we were chatting here, and we just were kind of riffing on what were some of the, the biggest problems today in society, there, there might be a lot, but is it the, the pornification of everything? Maybe. It's sex, a, a bit of creation, raised to the level of creator. Is it... Corporate greed and, and capitalism gone awry, maybe. Is it money out of control? That's money, a bit of creation, raised to the level of creator. Is it just binge everything entertainment? It's art and creativity raised to the level 
or creator. I find personally that some of my most significant uh, moments of worship are times where I feel just utterly small. And I want to make you all feel small too. So sorry in advance. Uh, But let's go there. Um, Do you all know this photograph? Anybody recognize it? It's a good one. It's... um, As it sped through space, Carl Sagan urged NASA to turn the cameras on the Voyager spacecraft back toward Earth. And so that's Earth there, that that little pixel captured in a sun ray, just a scattered ray of light. And uh, Carl Sagan, not a believer, uh, levels me every time I read this. From this distant vantage point, the Earth might not seem of any particular interest. But for us, it's different. Consider again that dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. On it, everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you ever heard of, every human being who ever was, lived out their lives. The aggregate of our joy and suffering, thousands of confident religions, ideologies, and economic doctrines, every hunter and forager, every hero and coward, every creator and destroyer of civilization, every king and peasant, every young couple in love, every mother and father, hopeful child, inventor and explorer, every teacher of morals, every corrupt politician, every superstar, every supreme leader, every saint and sinner in the history of our species lived there on a mote of dust suspended in a sunbeam. Nebuchadnezzar is gone and his empire is gone and his golden image is gone. Money and power are all bits confined to that mote of dust. And it's a bit of creation too. There is only one, the God that these three Jews honored that still lives. He's the only one worth bowing to. Do you give the power to rule your life to an image or an idol or a bit of creation? Or to the only image, the Christ the image of the invisible God? Yield to him, the only one with the right to rule. Continuing in 19, then Neb was furious with the three, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual, as hot as his irrational rage. He no longer intends to subject them to slow torture, but instead to use this as a show of strength and power to any others who might follow in defiance. He commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army. They are his best. They are the ones that that are the power behind his unstoppable hand. He commanded them to tie up the three and throw them into the blazing furnace. And typically they would be stripped of clothing. It's hard to make. It's valuable. So they would take all of that. But instead we, we read that these three men were wearing their robes and trousers and turbans and other clothes. And they were 
bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. And the king's command was so urgent in the fire, so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up the three. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. The king's return to form of being hasty and urgent, almost panicked, in desperately trying to prove his strength, he wastes his best. His strongest soldiers die, but they don't die the death of a martyr. These people are a resource to be wasted by a hasty and irrational king. And the three are thrown in as well. And at this moment in every execution story, what happens? It's torture. It's agony. It's death. This thing is superheated, so death would be almost instantaneous. But had it not been superheated, we would be expecting them to die much more slowly. Just the death to drag on, because they're probably not going to burn to death. They're actually going to asphyxiate, because all the oxygen in the room is going to get consumed. And then they're just going to breathe in flame, and that will be their end. And the king sits to watch the grotesque show. But then the turn, contrary to every other time, King Neb leaps to his feet in amazement and asks his advisors, weren't there three? They replied, certainly. He said, look, I see four. Four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. A pagan king says, this is divine. I don't have the words for it, but this is a big deal. We might have the pre-incarnate Jesus here. And at the very least, we have Emmanuel, God with us. Then Neb approaches the opening of the blazing furnace and shouts, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. And so the three came out of the fire and the officials crowded around them. But note who's not listed the astrologers who caused the stink they saw the officials that the fire had not harmed their bodies nor was there a hair of their head singed their robes were not scorched and there was no smell of fire on them literally this this translate the, the phrase hadn't not harmed their bodies is the fire did not have power in their bodies. The king didn't have power. The guards didn't have power. The fire, the fire did not have power. None of the bits of creation have the power that God alone does. But let me say this. In the furnace, we don't have the total removal of danger, do we? The, the hungry flames devoured the guards. The harm and the danger is still in the flame. And the three weren't spared from the fire. They were thrown into the fire. God could have kept them completely out or extinguished the flame, but instead God saved them in it. In it, not from it. And it's at this point that Nebuchadnezzar says, praise be to the God of the three who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. And we're going to come back to that. That's clutch. 
Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything about the God of the three be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other God can save in this way. And if we thought for a second that maybe the king had gotten over urgent and rash decrees, he steps into, I don't know, like defend God as if God needed his help. Ridiculous. Then the king promoted the three in the province of Babylon, and the jealous plot of the astrologers was foiled because they are not killed but promoted. The proud are humbled, and the humble are exalted. Let's get back to that quote in 28. The three trusted in him, the creator, and they defied, they defied the king's command, the, the bit of word that came out of the bit of a man. And they were willing to give up their lives, the little bits that we have on this moat of dust, rather than serve or worship any God, any bit of creation, and instead only worship and serve their creator God. So for us, the church here tonight gathered, we scatter throughout Northwest Arkansas. What about for us? I want to share a tender word out of the end of First John. Dear children, keep yourself from idols. I think back to chapter one. They took a stand there and they turned down one of the perks of life in service to the king. We won't eat the meats or drink the wines. The three saw that these were bits of creation that threatened their allegiance to God. And chapter three just has higher stakes. They're taking another stand that this time only potentially carries consequences from the world around them. We don't get to enjoy the perks of the world and then take self-righteous stands when we feel like it. If I can say it in this silly way, we can't take our righteous stands and eat our fancy meats too. Will we have a furnace moment Probably not. We're in North America. Most of us are never going to know the fear of confess now, bow in front of this other thing, or I'll murder you. We just are, it's not going to face us. But if, if, if we do, I fear that I'm not going to be suddenly faithful. I think I get there by lots of chapter one moments, lots of moment by moment faithfulness, faithful in the little things, in the small moments, in the quiet abstentions that build to faithfulness in the big things. So the challenge this week, what's your next faithful moment? We've been talking about daily connections. How can you lean a little closer to God than you are now. Lean away from some bit of creation and toward Jesus, the Son, right, that Colossians 1 says is the image of the invisible God in whom all things were created. We find the power to be faithful because of the faithful one in us. God brought the three out, but he, he didn't bring Jesus out. Jesus also faced execution, but was not delivered from death. 
not until he was taken down and laid in a tomb. And then, then he was delivered from death. And he delivers all from death who yield to him. And so tonight you collected communion. And during the next song, we're going to just take it as you feel fit. I know that it is a, uh, just a bit of bread and it's just a bit of juice. But we take it to turn our hearts away from all the other bits and toward the Christ that was crucified and resurrected, who lives now and forevermore. So would you stand and let's sing together and when you're ready, you can take, eat, and drink. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ. I stand in Christ alone who took on flesh fullness of God in helpless pain this gift of love and righteousness scorned by the ones he came to save till on that cross Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied, for every sin on him was laid, here in the death of Christ I live, there in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his and he is mine, both with the precious blood. 
Fellowship Mosaic, thanks for worshiping with us this week. If you'd like somebody to join with you in prayer, the prayer team will be up at the front. We'd love to go to the Lord with you. And if you'd like somebody to pray for you and you don't want to meet them right now, there's also prayer cards in the back. We invite you just to let us know of your need and we'd love to join you in prayer this week. Let us go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.